Welcome back to OWC Radio. If you've ever thought about getting into the world of music producing or performing, or if you're just curious about how things work behind the scenes, today's conversation with David Kalmuski will be fun and rewarding. David is a superstar, multi-platinum, multi-billboard, number one charting music producer, songwriter, guitarist, engineer, and mixer. He lives in Nashville and runs Addiction Studios with his partner, Jonathan Kane. Jonathan is the piano player for Journey and the writer of such notable songs as Don't Stop Believing, Faithfully, Open Arms. You know, in my own career, I've had the good fortune to meet and sometimes work with some of the world's greatest actors, musicians, and tech creators. And I've found that most of the truly gifted stars are incredibly modest. You could say that David Kalmuski falls into that category on both counts. He's gifted and understated about his life, his successes, and his craft. I recently met him through the team at OWC and wanted to share our conversation with you. David is sought out by acts such as Sean Mendez, Keith Urban, Megan Trainer, Justin Bieber, Journey, Joe Bonamassa, Tennille Towns, Carrie Underwood, John Legend, The Sisterhood, Vince Gill, John Oates of Holland Oates, Motley Crue, and many, many others. Despite that, however, he's also very proud of his ability to recognize and work with new talent. He really loves that, and will showcase some of those projects as well. We talked about David's life growing up with music all around, thanks to his father, Kenny Kalmuski. We also talked about how to work successfully in the time of COVID. That was obviously a topic for us, and he has some incredible new work to share with us. You will not be able to typecast his work, however, as David Kilmusky is nothing if not extremely diverse. Put your feet up, relax, and enjoy. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast Give us a review and share in our thanks to Otherworld Computing for sponsoring our show. We are really pleased that you are here. One more thing. Regarding the music that we play for you in this interview, all of the copyrights remain with the original holders. We make no claims for copyright. Enjoy! It's time for OWC Radio. Tech Talk with Creatives. Conversations with host Serena Catania. I'm in a, a, a cool community and that's nestled in the center of Nashville called Berry Hill. Most of the studios, I think there's more studios in three or four city blocks here than any other neighborhood in the world. My neighbors are Blackbird Studios, uh, Universal Studios, which was previously House of Blues. Vance Powell has Sputnik Studios. Next door, I've got Trace Horse. I've, I've got, you know, seven or eight studios within. Uh, I could throw a rock and, and uh, smash my neighbor's windows in lots of studios around. So very lucky to be nestled in such a musical community in a musical city. And we've been here kind of just keeping busy for the last decade or so. I don't know. I just <laughs> stick my head up every once in a while and try to figure out what year it is. You are one of the most prolific people I think I've run across. You've, you have thousands and thousands of tracks that you've worked on over the years. 
And looking at your resume, I'd think you'd be about 80 years old and you're not. So I'm close. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you just feel like it. How's the quarantine treating you? Uh, it's different. You know, we all have to reinvent everything we do. And I've been enough of a nerd and sort of on the edge of technology that I was dabbling in. And, you know, I've been doing Zoom and Skype calls for a decade and, and been dabbling in, in technologies uh, for streaming audio over the internet for, you know, a decade. There was Source Connect. We've got audio movers. There's all kinds of solutions for us to be able to sort of do high quality audio work remotely that I, I already kind of had under my belt. So uh, I feel like I had a little bit of an advantage where I had some friends and music makers kind of coming to me and uh, for, for some solutions for us to continue some projects that we started that otherwise would have been shelved. And, and some, some are still shelved. I mean, there's lots of areas of the music industry. I'm a, I'm a guitar player as well. So I, you know, I haven't been out, I haven't played a live show in, you know, since uh, February, you know, oh. I haven't, uh, I work in LA and New York uh, quite a bit every year and I haven't been on a plane since February. So it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. To, for me to be able to just like lock down in a room and still try to stay connected to a global music industry. It's, it's, it, it has its challenges, but uh, we're lucky the technology is where it is. I'm lucky to be in the recording side of the business more than the touring side of business. I have a lot of friends and a lot of artists that are supposed to be out on the road right now, you know, touring their records and, and making their livings uh, that aren't as fortunate. I get to wear a lot of different hats and, and still remain very busy. So we try to, you know, pull together and Nashville's a great community. We're creating sort of live streaming venues for artists to be able to do YouTube live and, and set up a tip jar. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, as things are busy, still taking time aside to reserve to work with some independent artists who aren't out on the road or aren't playing shows and and just developing new material and doing a lot more writing and and sort of a lot more sort of creative behind the scenes work than um full force churning out things on the on the sort of the regular schedule as well too so i think it's hard for creative people to sit still And I, I mean, yeah. you know, you spend a lot of time in your production studio, but you're also on the road, you're playing and you've got interaction with human beings, with other human beings. And that that reinforces the creativity. I find it very tough. I'm I'm being very patient with it, but I travel probably, I would say, nine months out of every year. And here I am since uh, since the COVID hit in San Diego. Yeah, it's rough. I've got friends, you know, uh, some bands that uh, my legacy acts that I've been working with pretty much my entire career that have been owed their whole lives. I just had John Oates from Holland Oates over here yesterday, who's been on the road for 45 years. You know, I mean, he never slowed down, never stopped. And um, lucky we picked up a movie soundtrack and he wrote all this music and we did Internet collaborations with Spanish artists from Mexico things that wouldn't have happened if it weren't for COVID. But I understand the privilege that it is to be an established artist and comfortable enough to be able to expand. And so by the same token, you know, John's taking his time and writing with young independent artists who don't have their record deal yet and 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 helping, you know, he found an artist, um, Servan Campbell, who's an amazing artist. And 
and um, we all masked up and, and isolated in, in different rooms in the studio and, and um, brought him into the movie soundtrack. His mom drove him here and a young, really cool hip hop artist. Again, I think we're not just trying to fill our calendar with the privilege that we're clearly living in. We're just trying to find ways to, this is a music community this industry all the way up and down the rungs of sort of ladder and success and established uh, artists. And this is art. And I know a lot of the artists that I work with that aren't financially devastated by this are sort of reaching in and finding creative ways to find new collaborations that can help artists that are a little bit financially devastated by this and getting some opportunities to participate in some writing and some sync licenses and, and launching some material that they otherwise in a normal world may not have um, gotten the opportunity to create, you know, they would have needed to participate more in a system that was in place before all of this. So, so it's, it's, it's evolving, but yeah, I understand your frustration just being anchored. I'm frustrated, <laughs> sort of anchored in this building and that human interaction is, um, something early in COVID that I have a big balcony upstairs and we have a big parking lot that there's four recording studios that share basically a same, the same parking lot. And some of my very close friends are in the studio two doors down. So we just get together and like have lunch. I work with a young artist, Tennille Towns, who was supposed to be out on the road this year. She came over in her pickup truck and sat on her tailgate in the parking <laughs> lot and ate a sandwich. We're just trying to see each other, you know, and, and, uh, we all really crave that human interaction. We weren't sort of, even though people, you know, accuse us of cave dwelling and living in these little <laughs> production rooms and, and call it the bat cave. Um, we really weren't meant to just completely self-isolate this music, entertainment, even technology. It's, it's, it's collaboration and it's, it's a collaborative effort about us sort of getting together and sharing ideas. And, and that's the hardest thing for us to try to figure out and navigate Interestingly enough, though, the work itself isn't hard to do because it comes naturally to us. Creation, writing, making music. I can just reach over and pick up the guitar, whether I'm sitting in this room or whether I'm sitting under a palm tree. The hard part is to really keep these sort of emotional um, connections. Yeah. You know, music is so important. A lot of people are feeling the stresses of COVID, and I've been telling everybody listen to music. If you're feeling down, pick up a piece of music, go listen to some beautiful music and it'll help you. I love that your work is so diversified, but we, before we go too much further, will you tell people who may not know what Addiction Studios is and what they do and who you do it for? Well, there's no they. It's Addiction is just a, a, a building, you know, in Nashville, full of instruments and equipment that myself and my partner, Jonathan Kane, who's the piano player for Journey, and he, you know, he wrote Don't Stop Believing, Faithfully Open Arms. He co-wrote all those songs in the, in, and is, you know, he's the main, one of the main core members of the band Journey. Um, about a decade ago, you know, we, I was working with Journey in the studio and producing his daughter, and he and I produced uh, a couple of records together and and we're just working so much together in other people's studios we both had studios in our homes we both had separate studios and it just in in that day and age it just made sense for us to just put our stuff together and just go for it and and so we did that about 10 years ago 
And it is, um, you know, it's not really a commercial studio by the sense of a lot of the studios that are empty that you can go rent and bring your stuff to. I mean, I can accommodate that here, but the idea here is that we've got a Fazioli grand piano and seven to nine synthesizers wired up at any time. There's 70 guitars on stands and set up throughout the building. There's, you know, 15 or 20 vintage guitar amplifiers in every room and corner with microphones on them. This room is, is you know, that I'm in this mix room is pre-wired, pre-dialed up for my mixing workflow. And then Studio A is sort of pre-dialed and wired up. There's two drum kits set up in the room at all times, uh, and it's set up for my uh, recording workflow. So between recording and mixing, uh, there's no setup time. There's no, it's it's not a big empty space. It's the opposite. It's completely full of everything that I need to, to be creative 100% of the time. It's completely removed the logistics of making records, which is let's book a studio, book an engineer, then book a musician and have their cartridge delivered, and then there's setup time. You know, you add that up over decades, it's amazing how much prep time goes into just hitting record on a single song. And um, after years and years of collecting enough equipment to facilitate a lot of that stuff between John and myself, we certainly have more than enough uh, <laughs> equipment between us for probably three studios. So it, looks uh, it like just made it. sense 10 years ago and it still makes sense now. Um, yeah. And as long as it continues to still make sense, we, you know, there was a moment in time where we didn't know if COVID if it would still make sense, you know, I mean, I, I, John and I had an early talk in, in March about, okay, what's going to happen. Should we do, do we close the place down? Do we, what do we do? You know? And it was like, well, let's just roll with it and see what happens. And then we found out that it's very valid and that people one-on-one and, and we can do live streams from the studio. Uh, You know, I've done so many new things and new ideas for artists uh, here in the studio that is only possible because of a place like this that can't necessarily be done from a living room or a boardroom. You know, I've got a fully dialed studio with isolation and great internet. So for us to do live feed and, and filming for content and, um, you know, and isolating between us and a few people and making a, a, a world-class record, this place, this place might even be more valid than ever. People don't want to have other people over to their, their homes to collaborate, but I can have somebody, I can be in this room and I've got a big isolated piano room with its own HVAC system, its own air intake. I even had a drummer walk into the studio out on the floor, four panes of glass, four rooms away with perfect line of sight through the glass, play a drum track and then leave out the back door. And I never even came within contact or breathing air with him. Wow. And I do that kind of work here with uh, a great friend of mine from L.A. who is sort of in town without uh, a lot of his session work and he's getting a lot of phone. So it's like, man, we don't even have to come in contact. You can just walk in the back door. So interestingly enough, I think that there's <laughs> in, a, in a weird era where a lot of people are just making music on laptops and, and sometimes we reevaluate the need for really big studios all the time. Boy, this place has come in really handy this year. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Take me on a little tour of what you have around you. Everybody wants to know what equipment you're using because you do some amazing work. I'm sitting in a room with um, with about a half a million dollars worth of outboard. Uh, there's lots of gear. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we can burn an hour 
on just going individually piece by piece. Uh, I have everything from a record cutter from 1938 sitting beside an iPad running alpha software that won't be released till 2021. So it's something a little bit like the Noah's Ark of recording. I'm not a vintage snob. I'm totally a technologist. Uh, I work with a lot of cutting edge technology companies. I help develop plugins. I work with DAW companies. Um, I do public work with Avid and OWC, but I also have a Fairchild and, and a UA-175 and, and a bunch of great old tube compressors that I use on my tube mix and on my vocals. I'm, I'm sitting at a large format console, which is a, a Trident TSM console from 1978. That is just the great sound of great records. It's just, it, it's all like comfort food. I don't need any of this stuff. <laughs> I, I, I do records on my laptop. I actually mixed a, a you know, I, I, I pre-produced, mixed and mastered a song for a new product launch that will be out next month, completely 100% in the box. And I'm super proud of that piece of music and it's, it's going to do well. And Okay, so you just did a product launch. Um, talk to me about, since we're talking about equipment, uh, Little Bird told me you use OWC equipment and those guys over there <laughs> are really excited about it. Can you talk to me about what you have and how you use it? I discovered OWC just from buying refurbished Macs and things. I mean, I, I, I come from a world where I want to have multiple workstations and, and, you know, an editing workstation and a mixing rig and a laptop to take on the road. And so rather than just always going out and dropping a credit card on the, the biggest, most brand new Mac, I just was always amazed at like current models, the deals that I could get from, you know, buying computers through OWC years ago and, 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 you know, custom RAM packages and, and then hard drives and just outfitting everything. And, and I just definitely got pretty deep into the OWC culture. So fast forward 10 years into having a multi-room, multi-million dollar facility with, you know, seven or eight rigs around the building. Yeah, my chassis are all OWC. My hard drives are all OWC. My computers all came from OWC. All of the I.O., I have every version of their dock for interfacing with every version of Mac and computer. <laughs> um, my Mac usage goes back pretty much to the beginning. I mean, I have a Mac Classic that's still running in the studio. My console is still running on um, System 753 on a <laughs> Mac Performa 460. Um, that's and, so uh, awesome. <laughs> and that I, it's a, it's still in daily use. It still runs the faders on my console. In fact, the company that made my faders kind of went out of business in the nineties and, and their software, the last update was for system seven, five, three. So that's where we run. And, you know, there's all kinds of fun, modern hacks. There's a local tech in town who took the whiny old SCSI drive out of it and put a micro SD SCSI two controller in that computer and that whole old mac is actually running off a micro sd from staples and the the uh the capacity on, on on a four gig drive means that i can literally store a million sessions on the desktop because these files are so tiny from, yeah. from the 80s and 90s yeah um, that's amazing <laughs> so yeah my my relationship with mac goes right back to the beginning i mean i uh, I got my first computer, which was a Commodore VIC-20 in 1976, I think, or 1978. By the time I could have a, there was such a thing as a home computer, I, you know, I, I had some early PCs and some early Mac G3s, well, Performas and then G3s, 4s, 5s. 
sort of all the way up. So OWC is just sort of like fell in line probably about 10 years ago with the need for that. And, and I actually developed a pretty great relationship with the company uh, out of my admiration for their product line and their website and what they do. And I met some people in the company. And so I help evangelize their products. And I also help kind of brainstorm and whiteboard with the team about interfacing and, and maybe some some products in the future as well, too. I tend to, to stick my nose in where it doesn't belong with a lot of companies and technologists. And I've brought a lot of uh, products to the market just by being too nosy and opinionated. Well, being smart about it, you've got both the right and the left side of the brain going. I love that. So I, I kind of started out with OWC in the same way. I've been using their products for years and then I got to know them and here we are doing OWC radio. Okay. So tell me about this latest project of yours. I know you can't talk about who it was for, but you can talk about the artist and song, right? Yeah, we worked with a couple of technology companies that are releasing products shortly that I can't certainly mention by name because they haven't done their product launches yet. But um, I got together with an artist who I've been writing and co-producing with for years named Amy Peters, who usually she has a residency here at the studio. She has a, a production room upstairs and sort of in lieu of being able to come in during COVID and, and us collaborating over Zoom and various other technologies, um, decided to capture the process of the making of her next single, which is a song called Friends Over Feelings. So by the time this interview comes out, if you just look up Amy Peters' Friends Over Feelings, I'm sure you'll see some products and some technology companies sort of tagging it, and you'll find some behind-the-scenes footage of us working on that song in the studio using some of the new technology that's uh, that's around. So that was fun to take my sort of nerdery and um, invite it into the process where she's at her apartment playing piano, making, you know, um, programming and beat contributions, writing the top lines, singing vocal tracks. And I'm at the studio playing bass and drums and mixing and editing and programming. And we're putting a song together and we're actually closing the mix together over headphones and streaming it over audio movers and sort of without skipping a beat, we're just doing what we do. I'm going to play a little bit of Amy's song, Friends Over Feelings, so our listeners can Get a feel for what it's all about. And every moment of silence is a loaded gun. Friends of a feeling, denial of a dealing. Our hearts know what they need, but your mind is mine. Not too damn practical to follow the fever and see where it leads us. Our hearts know what they need, but. And we're back. Was there anything about recording that that was a particular challenge? You're such a technologist, and she was in one location, you were in another. But can you think of a part of the song that was a challenge for you, particularly, or some part of it that you want to tell us a story about? It was surprisingly pretty easy. You know, um, I think that the hardest part of technology honestly, is getting to know someone over technology. I have a harder time meeting someone on Zoom and really getting a couple of layers deep into their personality and their likes and dislikes and joking around and just having that sort of natural sort of 
playful way that we kind of collaborate and get to know one another. That's always been the biggest obstacle for me working in this environment. But with Amy and I, you know, the walls were broken down. We're old friends. We've been, we've made lots of music together. So uh, I expected, honestly, a lot more hurdles. I expected, uh, you know, I mean, I guess the biggest hurdle was connection dropping, which happened once or twice, just wandering around with iPhones and FaceTime and, and, uh, and cobbling together a few different versions of technology to, to sort of stay connected in the room. Those are just the natural fr- frustrations of a Wi-Fi signal switching or something like that. So, you know, pretty, um, pretty low obstacle threshold. It's because you're good at it. <laughs> you're, you're being incredibly modest. One of your most recent sessions was with Carrie Underwood on a new song she has coming out. Did I see that on Instagram? We actually did an entire record in, it wasn't just a song. We did a whole album in quarantine together. Wow. And what that was, was that her and Greg Wells, who's a very close friend, and, and Greg and I, you know, Greg, again, flies to Nashville, comes to addiction, hangs out with all of the artists in town. We break bread here. We bring in dinner sometimes. You know, we go out on the, uh, you know, the, the, for dinner and, and he lectures at the schools while he's here during his off time. And, and um, you know, we work in the whole facility. Greg's such an amazing multi-instrumentalist, plays drums, bass, guitar, everything, and can kind of just wander around the building with the artist here and with me here to help maybe, you know, sometimes I play guitar for Greg. Sometimes I'll engineer while he's running around the building and that all went away with COVID and he had already started Carrie and he were here, I think in February, I don't even remember. It was such a busy uh, start to the year. And then of course the, the idea was for him to come back to Nashville and, and finish the record sometime in April or May. And it was on everybody's radar. It was on Carrie's radar and Greg's radar and mine. And um, then COVID hit. And it didn't look like it was really going to happen until, you know, enter technology. Greg was sort of like, do you think we could effectively, and again, you know, like your previous line of question, like what was the worst thing? What's the biggest obstacle? Well, we didn't know. Actually, Carrie was kind of, interestingly enough, the the guinea pig or the test. Um <laughs> Like, how well is this going to go with Carrie and I here in the studio and Greg in L.A. producing the session and him playing instruments over there? And so we decided to book one day as a trial, you know, and it was like a lot was riding on it. And so the night before, we just shut everything else off in the building, checked our Internet connection. I set up the vocal booth with an iPad and a private Zoom call for Carrie. And then I'm in my own room here. We're not sharing the same air supply we disinfected the entire studio with UV light and ozone gas. And we just kind of like did the maximum amount of, of preparation we possibly could. And Carrie came in on her first day and sang like four songs for six or seven or eight hours. I mean, she was so into it and had such a great time. Greg was blown away and everybody was just sort of like, this actually went better than expected, you know, and, and she was elated to continue. And so we did 12 songs and, and we kind of created a little quarantine bubble and it was just her and her manager and a camera guy. And so there's lots of uh, footage. If you go looking around all of the, the footage that's coming out around her current Christmas album, it's all shot here with, uh, 
with very few of us in the studio and then Greg over Zoom. And, and um, I mean, they cut strings at East West Studios in LA with the, part of the LA Symphony all over Zoom, you know. Um, there was a, a lot that went on. I brought in um, the McCreary sisters and we did a choir and background vocals with everyone completely, you know, separated and isolated, wearing masks and stuff like that. We got through a record, you know, I played a little guitar here on, on the uh, John Legend's Carrie duet that's on the record. In the winter chill, let the candles light the night up from the And that was, I think, kind of the last thing to go down on it. And, and Greg, you know, uh, had Serban um, mix everything, everything obviously remotely, just listening over the Internet. And uh, it got it, it was a really great sort of exercise in in the the process of it. You have a reputation for being incredibly easy to get along with. People just love you. And I think that's who said another... that? <laughs> I heard rumors. <laughs> From who? Who are you even talking to? Yeah, I think oh, you man. would not have been working with all of these amazing artists over the years if you weren't. Um, I think you just talked to the right people. Yeah. Pro did you pay them? You paid them to say that, right? <laughs> I don't know. I get along with some people. <laughs> You know, take me back to uh, growing up with a father who was in the business. What was that like? I mean, your dad was in a group and you grew up around this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, it, it's normal to me. I didn't notice a difference, you know, but I mean, my father, you know, my grandfather played sax in the 30s and 40s and 50s. My dad played in the 50s, 60s, 70s through the 90s, actually into about 2005. He had a great long career. And uh, yeah, it was an amazing childhood. It's just, it's vivid for me. It was really rich. And, and we had all the musicians at our house all the time. My dad had a studio, a little back room of the house was a, a soundproof, professionally done studio, you know? And, and so that's where all the jam sessions and recording and stuff would happen in our house. And, but, you know, they were Woodstock hippies and there was a lot of crazy stuff going on back there. So uh, my mom wouldn't let me go back there sometimes. I didn't know why. <laughs> you know, they were just drinking and, you know, dropping acid or whatever, probably at times. But uh, but it wasn't wild. It wasn't too wild. No, I mean, it's it's uh, it's I joke about it. it's that's more of a joke than anything. Uh, honestly, really inspiring, just constantly surrounded by music, music playing in the house every day, live music happening in the house constantly. Grandparents always playing music, us breaking out in, and jamming around the kitchen table on a regular basis. It was just such a core part of daily life. It was just normal, you know, and, and um, by the time I was six or seven, want toy cars or, or toys. I wanted microphones and guitars and reel to reel tape recorders. And, and I got them, you know, dad would get, you know, give me stuff. And, and sometimes I'd take it apart and ruin it. And, and he, you know, 
get mad, <laughs> not give me stuff for a while, but I always got, you know, I always had some stuff to just make music. I was overdubbing and, and things when, honestly, when I was, you know, six or seven years old in my bedroom, I understood how sound on sound on a reel to reel tape recorder worked and I could make my own echo and, and, and I could play a couple of chords and hold a beat on drums. And I kind of went from there. And by the time I was a teenager, a young teenager, I was playing in clubs with 40 year olds. You know, I was like, I had jumped immediately into professionally making music for money. I just sort of bypassed kind of the, the typical trajectory that it took. Yeah, it would take a normal, I think a normal upbringing <laughs> to get there, you know, um, I just kind of grew up on stage. Did you did you study music in school or did you study music by watching and listening? Watching and listening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, dad's, one of dad's closest friends, John Till, who, you know, it's interesting that you're asking me about this. I just got word today that the mayor of our hometown is going to uh, my uncle's house and going to John Till, who was my father's bandmate in 1958 with Richard Manuel from the band. They were in a band called the Revels and they later became a version of the Hawks, you know, with Levon Helm and Ronnie Hawkins and, and all kinds of famous things broke out uh, through the sixties and became the band and Bob Dylan's backup band. And John Till ended up in Janis Joplin's full tilt boogie band. My dad came to Nashville in 1968 with Ian and Sylvia and, made records here with a, a young Todd Rundgren producing. And, you know, they had just such a wild, crazy life even before I was born. And, um, and so the, the, like our hometown has the Stratford festival. A lot of famous actors come through our, our theaters that are in that town. They started extending that to musicians, obviously. And Justin Bieber's from my hometown. I was, you know, that's why I worked with Justin Bieber. He's part of my credits is he was just a kid in my hometown. And I had, I was a partner in one of the few stu- only studios in town. And, and so uh, one of my, my studio partners um, wife, who is a vocal coach and also a, a awarded artist singer, you know, was teaching Justin vocal lessons and he was part of her community choir and things like that. Anyway, that town, we have our own Hollywood walk of fame star system and the city is awarding my father uh, and John Till, who I just spoke to on the phone from Janis Joplin's band, uh, a star on the Walk of Fame, which is nice. And, and oh, that's I mean, nice. I'm not able to attend a dedication or anything because of COVID up in Canada. But that's a nice sort of like it's an honor to to have dad and, and that whole generation of amazing music and, and chaos sort of still resonating and being recognized by authors and history books and stuff. They weren't recognized for a long time around that hometown. You know, I mean, by the time I was sort of a young adult, it, there just wasn't a lot of that historical sort of sensibility, but now it feels great. They've, you know, got a, they've got a section of the local museum. They've got a star on the walk of fame. They've got a, uh, uh, the, the, the band shell in our hometown is named after them as well too. So hmm. that's kind of, that's the history that I come from. It's very music rich and it's based around that, that town, the city of Stratford, Ontario. It's a very musical town. Wonderful memories, isn't it? He must be yeah. incredibly proud of you that you took up the torch and that you're still doing something that he really loves. Does he ever come visit you here in Nashville? Well, we lost him in 2005, but the oh, last I'm picture sorry. he saw of me was, it's all right. The last picture he saw of me was playing the Grand Old Opry. 
with an artist, you know, and, and that was kind of full circle because he was here in the 1968 with Ian and Sylvia kind of doing the same thing, just a young guy coming to Nashville, making his rounds. And he, you know, was hanging around Woodstock, New York a lot. And, and a lot of the places that I had started to go and I was working in New York and, and my career was starting to come up a bit. So he got to see a little bit of that. He never got to see Addiction Sound Studios or sort of this space or anything like that. But I think he knew the trajectory I was on. My father and I always made music together. You know, I mean, I, I, w- I was bringing him into the studio near the near the end of my years in Canada before I started, you know, really traveling a lot. Um, so, yeah, it was it's just it's all a great full circle story. Yeah, it's amazing. We started talking about it today, too. Good timing, huh? Things happen like that in the world, don't they? Yeah. You connect with people for reasons. Well, you're doing some amazing, amazing work there. I wanted to ask you about two or three of the songs you've worked on recently. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, it, again, uh, we mentioned we mentioned Friends Over Feelings. That's the newest thing, literally, to just come off the desk today, uh, which is an Amy Peters track. Obviously, check out the Carrie Underwood Christmas record. We did all all of the, that record was done in quarantine during this season. And then if I dig back, sort of one of the more interesting things I got to participate in was the contributing a song to the soundtrack uh, for an independent movie called Met While Incarcerated, which is a movie about prison wives sort of dating their lives to men on death row and, and, and you know, people with a life sentence. And we got asked to do a version of Amazing Grace for the film with a, a, a great Canadian artist named Jada Kelly. And immediately we're struck with, well, what can we do with that song? I mean, mm-hmm. it's just been recorded so much and it's, you know, we're never going to be, oh, Ray Charles or Eddie James. Just, what, what can we do with Amazing Grace? an interesting idea the way i described this room was i have a record cutter from 1938 i have an analog tape machine from the 70s in studio a i have ipads i have old synthesizers from the from the 80s and and so i would urge people to maybe dig through my social media and or look for the making of extras in the movie met while incarcerated uh, we had a camera crew here sort of film the making of our version of that song, which we started by recording a version just like we were in 1947. Mm-hmm. We set up in a circle in a room and cut our song right to lacquer record. And then we reset the room up and recorded just like we were in 1961 and like the Wrecking Crew, all the instruments, all the musicians in the room, no headphones, just playing live in the room. And then we struck the room and recorded a version on tape like it was 1978 and very sped it like an old Beatles trick, you know, would do, or, or, you know, people in the sixties and seventies were playing with analog tape. Then we did a 1984 version, you know, where it was all done on synthesizers from the eighties that were laying around. And I have some famous synthesizers here. I have the synthesizer 
that was used on all the journey records. It was in the separate ways video. I have a drum machine here that was uh, lent to me by John Oates from Holland Oates that was the drum machine used on a bunch of original Holland Oates tracks. So we did a version of the song that way. And then I took six different versions of that song and I lined them up on the console. And then I didn't mix like drums from 1947 with bass from 1961. I just had the, the finished versions up on the console and I mixed the versions together like I was mixing a time travel orchestra. Mm. So I could literally go from like 1962 back into 1947 into 1983 in the verse and bridge. And I could combine them all together. And I mixed it to three and a half minute segment in that movie to picture. And um, that's probably the most interesting thing I've ever gotten to do. And we did that a few years ago, I think in, in 2017, where I actually, as someone who is a bit of an audio historian and fan of the history of recording, I, I kind of got to use all my stuff and and play with it all being really sort of era specific and and um and of course we couldn't have done we couldn't have done the end product without the computer technology which was the current you know the 2017 was probably the most important piece because how else do you sync up all of these other recordings from other eras without using elastic audio and, and computers to set markers and sync and edit things up together? And, and so it was a, a real way to sort of start a session in 1937 and end it in 2017. Gosh, that's amazing. What an amazing imagination you have. There are, uh, I can feel the spirits of all the people that played on those instruments and used that equipment that you have. It's pretty nice. Must be, it must be wonderful to be sitting in the middle of all of that. Where can people go to learn more about you on the internet? Where should we send them? Oh boy. Uh, everything's probably completely out of date. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's just out there. I think that if you, Google me, you'll find an all music page that's got a bit of a limited discography of maybe some of the more label releases. Uh, I think there's a Discogs site that might have some, some, some of the independent records. Mm -hmm. You know, I did a whole rung of records with a band called the Small Town Pistols when I f sort of first came to Nashville. I think Google will pull most stuff up. I have a website that's just sort of kind of doesn't have too much information on it. And, um, my social media pages seem to be, I don't post pictures of food and, and you know, um, <laughs> cute kitty pictures and stuff like that and, and, and dogs and birds fighting. I think it's mostly like a couple of posts a year of some projects and stuff in the studio. So it's a pretty, you could just scroll through that and see probably the last 10 years of music that's happened in this building pretty effectively. But yeah. I mean, I don't really have any kind of one resource of anything. Well, you're busy creating other things. You're busy creating beautiful music. So what's up next for you? We're doing a bunch of things that are like pre-records for the late show. And, and uh, you know, I'm doing some pre-records for, for the CMA awards. And I've had a lot of artists by that would typically be in the studio with their whole crew and camp for weeks at a time doing a whole record that are maybe just doing like a single or one song at a time and things like that. So it's really interesting. I have about nine or 10 
artists doing really small, various things. I'm playing guitar on a bunch of records. I have like a lot of songs open and, and stuff that aren't full projects. They're just like this song, this artist needs a guitar track and this I'm mixing this group of songs. And then there's someone coming in tomorrow to track some new things. And, and so it looks like the end of this year is just sort of like a, uh, a pretty wide cast net of a lot of music makers wrapping up some projects for, for COVID. I did a track during sort of during quarantine with an artist named Lee, Lee Marlene, L E A H Leah Marlene. And it's a song called today. social media and Spotify and, and, and things. Amy Peters track is coming out. There's some new music from Supergroup Journey that may or may come out before the new year. I'm not sure. They, they've been public about the fact that we've kind of been working behind the scenes on a few things. And so that, yeah, that, all that works on my plate right now. It, it's interesting. You can be busy and have a lot of projects. I, I, I can't give away certain things and titles and names of, of things not. that are about to hit the streets because we don't know if they will. Sometimes they get set aside for something else or there's people have promotional strategies that don't conflict with one another. So I would just say, keep an eye on my socials if something funny or cool happens. I call that the creative chaos process because it's wonderful. I mean, that's wonderful. That's energy all around you and creativity and you're making beautiful music and with people that you care about. I think that you, you have a great life looking in on you. Thank you for letting us into your private world for just a little while. I know you're so busy. Yeah, but I'm busy doing this too, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's all just part of the general thing. People want to hear it, and I think there are a lot of young people that are going to listen in. Do you have anything you want to say to somebody that wants to be sitting in your chair or a chair like yours at some point? Well, a lot of people will look at the young people that that ask me questions and do Q&A and stuff like that, you know, is they, you know, they want... They want to know the shortcuts. They want to know how to kind of become established and get hired for cool things and work on cool projects. And, and of course, you and I, when we get together, we're going to talk about the notable things and, and work with Carrie Underwood and Jury and John Legend and drop big producer names like Greg Wells and stuff. But that's all the byproduct of working on that and 150 or 200 other things as well too. And it, and you never really know what is going to be the body of your work, you know, working with something that you believe in, you can help it become successful. And if you are someone that is just sort of chasing popularity or better gigs, and it's really not about doing great, amazing work on everything along the way, you may never get either, get either, you know? And, and so I guess the thing is to just make a lot of content, like don't wait for permission for someone to hire you to do something cool, do something cool today. My busiest times are when I'm not working on a record. I'm over here writing, I'm creating, I'm making new sounds. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, and that generates all kinds of new things. And once, once in a blue moon, that will put an artist on the map. 
will create something so cool with an artist nobody's ever heard of. Everybody's super impressed that I worked on this really big thing. And they'll look at my discography and want to hear all about working with Sean Mendez or, or somebody else that's on that discography. Um, and what I'm actually working on is so much more a part of the development of something that w we've created from nothing uh, rather than maybe just working on a session, help make great art, you know, and music and make it about that. And uh, if you can be a, a, a part of the process that helps launch new music and new things, then you'll build a career that's sort of worth digging through. I always like making sure that I mention some of my favorite independent records. So I'm thankful that you did ask about that. And I'm bringing up Amy Peters and Small Town Pistols and and the Jada Kelly movie soundtrack thing that you have to maybe go digging a little deeper than if you look at all music and you, you see Journey and Motley Crue and Shawn Mendes and Carrie Underwood, that stuff's super easy to find. But like really peel the layers back beneath people that creatively work and get get really deep into their body of, of work, whether it's mm -hmm. a musician that you admire or an engineer or a technologist. Uh, it's amazing to me meeting technologists finding out other products and projects that they were actually involved in as well as the, you know, the big thing that is the shiny new plugin or something that's really trendy that worked. It's like, wow, you were a core part of this really cool thing. I remember that technology that led you from here to here to here. You wouldn't have that big thing without that whole path, without sort of creating excellence along the way, using the same bar and the same standard, regardless of how popular the outcome of the end product is. Boy, I agree. I call it the joyous life well lived every day. Sure. And I look back at things that people ask me about that I worked on. And at the time, we weren't thinking about the fact that it was going to become big or famous or whatever. You know, we were just enjoying life and doing what we loved. And now you look back on it, it's kind of like the patchwork quilt, one piece at a time. And when That's it's all it. finished, you know, you're just trying you know? to do the best you can in that yeah. moment. And if, if you yeah. create enough greatness and it gets recognized enough, then uh, then that's sort of the foundation you build on and you get yeah. a reputation for things. But, um, you know, it's hard work, but it's also compulsion. So it's not really work like I don't have a choice. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm maybe mentally ill. Maybe this is all just mental illness. You know, I get um, that one. <laughs> can't stop my brain from turning. I just I, I walk out of the room for five minutes and I'm obsessed about hearing something or creating something in the moment. Yeah. And I can't really leave the building until I fulfill that or dismiss it. So uh, it's not for everybody, but I think that there's that component to it as well, too. Well, I'm really glad you're there. Don't ever stop. We're loving what you do. And I'm going to be watching you. I'm going to call you again in a few months and see how you're doing. You're part of the OWC family. You're on the radar, David, and you're doing great work. And I want to thank you for that. And thanks for sharing all of this with the people who listen in. And um, I wish you the best with everything coming up in the next few months. Everybody listening in, remember what I always tell you. Get up off your chair and you go do something wonderful today. This is Serena Catania here with David Kalmuski, and I am signing off. Thanks, David.